everybody, and welcome back to the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, the movie podcast streaming club podcast. We podcast with you today. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. Why not prepare something, William? <laughs> <laughs> Why study industrial no, arts? Good. All kinds of options are available. Um, this is the streaming club. It's a club. You belong to it now. In listening, you are now a member. Uh, this is something that we conceived during... Uh, during the, the harder days of the pandemic. The early days. The early the, days when uh, yeah. ever, when the lockdowns first began. The salad days the, when the salad was mostly caterpillars. and When uh, when it was uh, really gross. Ki- kind of exciting to watch the air in Los Angeles clear up because so few people were driving. Yeah, but uh, basically we uh, all the movie watching, we went from seeing all these movies in theaters to just staying at home. And we wanted to make sure we focused on the classics or cult classics or not so classics. The older films. That were available on streaming services that sometimes get overlooked because everyone's excited about what's new and debuting. And so um, this gives Whitney and I an opportunity to shore up some holes in our film education. Mm-hmm. I don't care uh, what critic you follow, every single critic out there, even the best ones, uh, there's a few things they haven't seen. Or maybe they haven't seen them in so long that they barely remember them and they really have no business reviewing them. Because they saw them 20 years ago when they were a very different person or when they were a little yeah. kid. So... We are on a mission to watch those movies, and we are having our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network curate them. Every single episode, we put up a poll, and that poll picks a particular streaming service. Whitney picks two films that he hasn't seen or doesn't feel comfortable reviewing because he hasn't seen them in so long. Yeah, too long. And uh, same for me. I pick two, and then our patrons pick the winner for the week, and then we review that film. And uh, on this particular episode... Of the streaming club, we decided to take a journey over to Shudder. Shudder, if you're unfamiliar with it, is a streaming service dedicated mostly to horror and horror-adjacent type filmmaking and television. Mm -hmm. These are scary movies. There's some sci-fi thrillers as well. There's thrillers, there's sci-fi, there's Mm -hmm. some actioners Mm -hmm. from... uh, Filmmakers that are maybe better known for their horror fair, but they want to be a little yeah. bit more completionist about it. Maybe they're not "quote unquote" scary, but they're full of violence yeah, and like weird we, uh, shit. And... I think the last Shutter film we did on the streaming club was Ken Russell's "The Devils," uh, mm. which is not strictly speaking a horror film, mm-hmm. uh, but it's certainly horror adjacent. I, I, it, it's something that I think horror films would dig. Yeah, horror uh, fans rather. Horror fan, excuse me. Yeah. Horror fans would dig, and uh, I think that's also true of this week's film. Yeah, this week's film is from the wonderful and celebrated Oz exploitation genre. Mm. These are exploitation films from Australia. Many of them were directed by Brian Trenchard Smith, including this one. <laughs> and let's get started with a very, very, very exploitative sci-fi action horror adventure film called Turkey Shoot. It is 1995. Open season! Hunting is the national sport, and people are the prey. The world is ruled by a strict regime. I'm the one you can't break. I'm what you've been afraid of all your life. I'm afraid of nothing. You're afraid of failing. 
Uh, yeah, Brian Trenchard Smith. We've talked to Brian Trenchard Smith. He we was were, the first interview we ever. Was he the first or the second interview we ever did? He was one of the and, together. And this was uh, back when um, when this wasn't so creepy. When you could contact a celebrity on social media and ask for them to be on your podcast. Like, hey, we're a fan. We have a podcast. Would you like yeah. to be on our podcast? And he was very, very cool and went on mm-hmm. the show. And we uh, this this episode is long since gone, but we talked about many of his films, including. Uh, BMX Bandits. Mm. Uh, he did a, a coming of age kind of fantasy type film called Frog Dreaming that I grew up with, so that was kind of cool. Uh, he also did uh, two of the better Leprechaun movies. He did uh, part three and part four. Uh, he yeah. directed those. Um, did you ever see Dead End Drive In? I never saw Dead End uh, Drive In. No, that, drive one, that one passed pretty, me it, by. It, it's um, it, it's. I guess it's sort of like Escape from New York, where they've turned, uh, they've walled in a drive-in movie theater, and that's where they put all of the town's, like, JD criminals. Mm-hmm. So it's overrun by gangs, but it's also a drive-in movie theater, so they're showing movies 24 hours a day, but they live at the drive-in. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's... Very, very nice. That's a pretty cool premise. Yeah. Uh, Turkey Shoot, I think, was Brian Trenchard Smith's, like, calling card. Mm. This is sort of like the one... He, he had actually directed, I think, like four or five movies before this but, uh, uh, quite a few actually he did the love epidemic which is apparently a quasi documentary uh he directed the man from hong kong death cheaters stunt okay. rock which i've never seen and i hear amazing things about i've seen stunt rock uh hospitals don't burn down which is another short film i guess mm-hmm. uh the day of the assassin another short film called uh the dangerous summer and then in 1982 he did Turkey Shoot, which for many years is better known in America under the title Escape 2000. Which I, I think was banking on the Escape uh, from New York uh, yeah, underground vibe, success yeah. of Escape from New York. Uh, yeah. in, in fact, you'll find that there are a lot of Escape from New York knockoffs, mm-hmm. which is weird because Escape from New York is itself just this really low budget movie. Yeah. Uh, Escape from but New York, it, yeah. is a, if you haven't seen it, it's a John Carpenter film starring Kurt Russell as mm. a famous outlaw in the near future who, uh, after the president's plane crashes in uh, it's the island of manhattan of memory serves. yeah Ma- manhattan it's the future manhattan has been walled off and they turned the entire island into uh, just a free-for-all prison yeah just they dump do, the they, prisoners there and just make sure they don't leave and that's all they do you yeah, know they, they, there's no they, guards they they uh, airdrop food into the prison but there's no guards just you're in yeah. this wild city yeah. citywide prison and the president's plane happens to crash land there and he gets kidnapped by isaac hayes mm. and so lee van cleef enlists kurt russell with an eye patch and a gravelly voice to go into the badlands of New York City, which has become this mm. basically, you know, it's this it's this anti-hero rescue mission in a dystopian future, but it's actually very clever as a low-budget epic sci-fi thing because it takes place in locations we don't have to go anywhere for. And all I gotta do mm. is distress them. Yeah. You gotta break some windows, put some well, graffiti was, uh, out, throw out, knock over some trash cans, it, and it looks a... dystopian and looks like oh, all of New York City is just an arid wasteland, and that's how we would get things like Night of the Comet, which takes place in L.A. But after everyone gets vanished into a puff of red sm- uh, red dust because a comet flew by, uh, except escape... for like a couple of people who want to go shopping. Escape from New York uh, actually didn't shoot in New York. They didn't smash anything. There had been a fire, I think it was in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and they just went there and filmed in the ruins. They sprayed yeah. down the streets for lighting, and that that was your yeah. dystopian New York. A lot of the actual like in- indicators that it was in New York were matte paintings, and some of them, and one of the matte painters was James Cameron. That's right. That's yeah. one, of, one of his earlier special effects gigs. So, but because uh, but, of because of the success of Escape from New York, and it also back to exploitation, Mad Max. 
Uh, post-apocalyptic type movies, dystopian type movies, we're seeing a big underground low-budget resurgence, mm. and Turkey Shoot is definitely part of that. Yeah. Um, uh, 1990, The Bronx Warriors. Uh, there is one called, I think, mm. just Escape from the Bronx. Uh, that one uh, was on an MST3K, if memory serves. Uh, one of those was. And and they, and they were all like released and re-released yeah. under alternate I, titles, so I, it's uh, difficult I, to keep track. I actually thought Escape 2000 was Escape from the Bronx. Oh. I didn't realize that that was actually that, that Turkey Shoot and Escape 2000 were the same movie yeah, until uh, I started watching this. I'm like, wait a minute, is this Escape 2000? It is Escape 2000. Why did I put off watching Escape 2000? This is awesome. Uh, I I got a, a crash course in exploitation movies um, from a documentary film called Not Quite Hollywood. Oh yeah, uh, which I highly recommend. Uh, it and it is just a big litany of how great this uh, era was. Uh, censorship rules in Australia were uh, lifted in like the mid to late sixties. Like they were eased up on a little mm-hmm. bit and uh, that left this big gap for a lot of local filmmakers to start filling uh, these voids with just ch- the cheapest schlockiest fare they could get away with. Mm-hmm. They started off with these really body comedies. They're called ocker comedies. And then you ha- saw the rise of people like Brian Trinder Smith and Philip Mora and uh, Richard Franklin, who ended up doing like FX two, mm-hmm. um, and George Miller. Is, let's not forget and, and George he, Miller. He as didn't well. start off as like an epic, like you know mm-hmm. Hollywood. Uh, he, he started off making Mad Max on a very low budget. Yeah, and yeah, Mad yeah. Max was one of these. Uh, yeah, and there's this huge long list of all of these exploitation movies, some of which starred big American actors. Yeah. Uh, this this uh, one here has uh, got actually a couple of big names. It's got Steve Railsback. Steve Railsback and Olivia Hussey were their two biggest gets. These were uh, not um, small gets. Olivia like, Hussey not, was in non, Romeo and Juliet. Not Australian uh, actors. Yeah, Olivia Hussey was in Romeo and Juliet. Mm. She was in Black Christmas. Uh, Steve Railsback was in The Stuntman, which is one of the best movies ever made about making movies. Yeah, um, which was another one we reviewed here on the streaming club. Yeah. Uh, but because of these, this sort of explosion of uh, B-movie cinema, we got to a good flavor as to how Australians make movies. Turns out Australians make movies awesomely. Uh, they, they are not afraid to put themselves in danger. I've seen Brian Trenchard Smith's Stunt Rock, and that is about a stunt performer who... It's hardly even a movie. It's just like a, a clip show of this guy doing stunts and hooking up with a rock band so he can do stunts on stage. Yeah, it's it, this is obviously an enormous generalization, mm. but there really was a wave of mm. films coming out of Australia that would get picked up for release in America, largely because there was a heavy emphasis on completely irresponsible stunt work. Yeah. yeah like there, just, there was... you, you look at like some of the shit that went down in the Mad Max movies and like you see like, some of the behind the scenes footage you read about it you're like, like how did they get away with doing that? Like, That's so did, irresponsible. How did they get that shot where the camera looks like it's hanging off the side of a car? Well, it turns out they would like tie somebody with seat belts and close them in the door and just have them hang outside yeah. the car and then drive 90 miles per hour. Yeah, it's infectious, it's, this like mm, can-do, you know, nothing-can-kill-us energy. And I'm sure plenty of people were hurt because they were oh, doing yeah. a lot of dangerous stuff, but yeah. they're exploding cars. There's plenty of open roads. So there's a lot of car movies. Uh the the way Australians shot schlock was just infectious. I think something about the Australian mindset played I, I, into. I know. I mean, that's why, a romantic notion, but I just I, I'm hesitant well, because there's all kinds of Australian cinema. Well, I, I understand that, but and you know, I'm not talking about filmmakers like Peter Weir, uh, for instance. Mm. You know, uh, but uh, there's something about uh, this particular era of Australian exploitation that seemed to understand exactly why people want to see exploitation movies. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm watching, uh, I recently watched a Giallo film uh, from the early 80s, an mm. Italian production. Which and one? Um, uh, for the life of me, I can't remember. It's it's about uh, the a fellow who wrote music for Giallo movies, and he was being stalked in the house there, that he was writing Giallo music for. So the music that was playing in the movie. I, I know, I know um, what you're talking about. I forgot about. the title of it, though. I know what you're talking about. Too. I just it's saw it the other nuts. day. That's a, that's a fun film. It's a murder mystery. People are, wander off into like the pool house and they get murdered by an unseen killer. Uh, and you know, I'm I'm sitting here watching this, wanting it to be murderier. I want there to be a lot more gore or blood. I want there to be something a uh, wilder about this. Mm. And I feel like I'm coming back and I'm watching Turkey Shoot. And I'm thinking, yes, yes, more more schlock because they were not shy to sort of overfeed you a little bit when it came to the exploitation. Uh, mm. Turkey shoot is essentially three exploitation genres in one. Yeah. It's a dystopian movie. Mm-hmm. It's a prison movie and it's a human hunt movie. Yeah. So uh, in case any of that's unfamiliar dystopian movies, uh, the dystopian uh, uh, fiction takes place in a future, usually a near future, but it's irrelevant. It's a future in which things are way worse than they are now. Hmm. It's uh, maybe the anxieties that we have about the world are heightened. Uh, oftentimes there are stories about fascism taking over, but that's not necessarily true. Sometimes it's capitalism run amok. Robocop is a dystopian story about capitalism run amok. Uh, it's the future and things are worse. Things are bad. This is not like, yay, it's the future. We have flying cars and everything's fun like the Jetsons. Like, no. Uh, prison movies uh, are movies about, well, prison and uh, there is a very large subgenre of films. They haven't been popular in a while, but uh, of people being in prison and prison being a place of violence mm. and often uh, sexuality, often violent sexuality. Uh, there's a lot of cruelty, abuse, torture. Mm. Uh, there are good films made in that genre, but it it has a very particular audience a lot of the yeah, time. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they're very, very harsh. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Humans Hunting Humans movies, or is they're probably best known as the most dangerous game yeah. films. Now, this is based off of an idea uh, from a short story called The Most Dangerous Game, which was filmed in the early 30s at night on the sets for King Kong, because King Kong was so expensive, they wanted to oh. like capitalize on all the money they'd spent on the production to make another movie for, like, next to nothing mm. so while they were doing king kong they were also making this own the most dangerous game which also starred some of the people from king kong like Fay ray yeah. uh, but uh, joel mccray played a big game hunter who washed up on an island after a shipwreck uh owned uh, owned by the great uh, count Z- zaroff Zar- zarkoff Zark- no zarkoff is flash gordon Oh no! It, I think it's Zaroff. You're right. I'm, it's it's Zaroff. Yeah. yeah. I've read the story. Uh, it's it's from the early twentieth, nineteen eighteen. Early nineteen eighteen. Yeah. I want to say yeah. eight, eight or the twenties, somewhere around there. Count Zaroff has yeah. this idea that uh, hunting animals for sport isn't fun anymore because they can't think for themselves. So he hunts humans, and he has moved like the flotation boys around his island so that ships will crash and they'll come here, and then he'll hunt them from sport. And the problem is, his latest sport is a big game hunter himself. And he's actually, like, pretty good at this. That is a very tight thriller. That is 70 minutes. It's like 20, 25 minutes of buildup and then nothing but action (laughs) from there on out. Like, it's not, like, the kind of wild, crazy action we're used to now, but it's very tense. Mm -hmm. And the idea was so strong that this concept has been ripped off constantly. Yeah. Ever since. uh, In fact, uh, Most Dangerous Game was one of the premier movies on Quibi. 
They, yeah, it's they been revisited done that, that recently. At the TV series, yeah, and, it was, yeah. and they actually called it "Most Dangerous Game." And the the, mm-hmm. the Zaroff character was played by Christopher Christopher Waltz because of course, and uh, kind of obvious casting. They yeah. used uh, uh, Liam Hemsworth was the one uh, running around, but instead of being an island, it was the whole city of Detroit this time. Yeah, out in public, and only some. And there are some people out in public it's, who are hun- seems kind of thin. It, it's it's it a little bit more convoluted. Uh, it works better in isolation. Of the story, but, but like some some famous examples mm-hmm. include uh, the John Calvin Dan movie Hard Target. Mm. Where he's hunted by uh, Lance Henriksen, uh, the most dangerous, uh, not the most dangerous game, uh, surviving the game with Rutger Hauer. Never saw that one. That's actually a pretty good one. And uh, and more recently in the cult circuit, Battle Royale is is a really popular version Uh, of it. Series 7 was Mm. sort of the American version of Battle Royale, where it was that, but it was a reality Reality TV TV, series. And boy, did that one get a lot of things right. Uh, And and of course, The Running Man. There have been a lot of films throughout history that have sort of exploited the human hunt genre. A uh, turkey shoot uh, is that. It's a hunt. Yeah. A, tur- a turkey shoot. Yeah. It's the near future. Fascism has taken over and people are arrested for basically no fucking reason. Like, uh, Steve Railsback is a political dissident. He's actually trying to take over the or overthrow the government. So he's been arrested. But also arriving at the prison that opens on like their first day at the prison is a woman who has been accused of being a sex worker. And that's enough. Mm. No, no, well, the, no, the, no evidence is even needed. The, uh, and, be, yeah. the big, the crime you commit to be uh, being sent away to this prison is being a deviant. Yeah, uh, this is clearly a, a super conservative government that yeah. has taken over everything and has sort of instilled this militant martial law, militant moral martial law over yeah. everything. And mm. now everybody who is a dissident is sent off to these prison camps to be, where uh, they're going to be reprogrammed, essentially. Yeah. And The other person who's there is Olivia Hussey, again from Black Christmas. And we actually see her flashback is really, really sad because she's just, like, shopping at a department store. Oh, I think she was working at the department store. Whatever. She's yeah. at a department store, and, like, two cops come in beating up a guy. And she's like, hey, don't beat up that guy. And they're like, oh, is he your lover? And she's like, no, I was just standing here, and you came in with him. And he's like, well, then why do you care if we kill him? You must be in the cahoots with him. You're arrested forever. I'm like, whoa! That escalated yeah, quick. No. If, if you know... There's a, a definite political dimension to this, not just yeah. criticizing the government, but uh, if you know anything about Australia's history, how it was used as a as an English penal colony. Yeah. Uh, the, the country itself was a prison, so... Um, the 80s was there, a very political time. Well, and, and indeed it was because there was a, a rise of conservatism uh, kind of all around the world. In fact, one of the alternate titles of Turkey Shoot, I think mm. when it was released in uh, England, it was called like Thatcher's Prison Camp. Like yeah. they, they mentioned Margaret Thatcher's name. Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister of the United Kingdom at the time, and she was exceptionally conservative. Mm. Uh, and uh, indeed, the warden of the prison is named Thatcher, and they call him Thatcher constantly. And if you think that's so, a coincidence, yeah. you would... You're probably wrong. Mm. <laughs> like I'm gonna say this right now. This is this is pretty on uh, the yeah. nose. Uh, they arrive at the prison and it's just as awful as you can imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. Prisoners are beaten and killed for no reason by mm-hmm. uh, prison guards who cackle with glee at how cruel they are permitted mm-hmm. to be. And yeah. uh, the prisoners, of course, have no recourse because the the prison guards have all of the power and they are mm-hmm. on the side of the government. Uh, it has echoes of Salo, if you've ever seen yeah. uh, the, the Pier Paolo Pasolini movie, in that uh, people are just... That's that's a movie about children, like, age, like, 12 to 16, whose parents have been killed in the war, and they are spirited off by 
the completely morally depraved, corrupt people in charge. There's mm. government workers, there's rich people, there's church leaders mm. into this little camp where they are going to be, uh, horrifically, horrifically, treated. horrifically, yeah, let's just, let's just say it. horrifically treated. Yeah. And, we're going to, we're going to, Solo is one the, of the most brutal movies ever. Yeah. Made. And you get to see every detail of their horrific treatment in that movie. Yeah. And, and this it one, has a point. That movie yeah. has a point. That movie is not just exploitation. That movie is very uh, political. Uh, this one is more exploitation, but come on. It's the 80s, yeah, this, for this, God's sake. This We're going to talk uh, about the, it. The, the schlocky 80s version of that same yeah. notion, where the conservative government is uh, taking away all dissidents. And mm-hmm. a lot of the big portion of the first part of that movie is just sort of detailing the cruel treatment and what pe- what the prisoners need to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And some people have been there for a while, and they've sort of found their niche. There's a, a, a blonde name, fellow in glasses. Named Dodge. Who, Dodge is uh, sort of... Felt like he's figured out a way to sort of survive, and it feels like he's going to get out someday. Yeah. Uh, the the Dodge big... looked familiar. I'm trying to look him up yeah, actually. Yeah. John Lay. Mm. Uh, John Lay was also he was also in Mad Max. That's probably oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's probably his other uh, big one. Um, oh, he was in BMX Bandits as well. So oh, okay. he's clearly a Brian Trenchard regular. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he's he's been there for forever, and he's clearly not. Like the experience has changed him. Like he's he's in his survival his will mode. Has kind he's, of been broken. Yeah. yeah, but he's also a survival. He he will survive at all costs, even if it means betraying other people. Uh, Steve Railsback has uh, escaped from other indoctrination camps before and is in, determined to do so again. Uh, Olivia Hussey is just completely unequipped for any of this, and Steve mm-hmm. Railsback tries to protect her. There's also uh, that woman Jennifer, uh, who uh, is played by Carmen Duncan. Uh, who has decided that if my sexuality, it's a, it's a co-ed camp, mm-hmm. if my sexuality will help me survive this, I will use it that way. Yeah. And uh, uh, She's not happy about it, but she accepts it as a reality, and that's yeah. sad in and of itself. Uh, as is the, tr- it's, it's a, this is an exploitation movie, it's a grindhouse mm-hmm. film, uh, it's, it's a grindhouse film par excellence. This is where mm-hmm. a lot of films are trying to imitate this film in particular, in fact, in a lot of the more recent Grindhouse fare. Mm. So there's going to be a lot of acts of violence, there's going to be a lot of nudity, and there's going to be a lot of uh, strange, broad wrinkles in terms of the character stuff. Yeah. Uh, in tr- for the nudity, there's a shower scene. Uh-huh. This is a long-held tradition since the days of Jonathan uh-huh. Demme making uh, prison movies for Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. Any excuse. Uh, and it's a co-ed shower scene. And we also get a sense of the sexual fascism that's going on. So you're mm-hmm. bringing up Jennifer sort of wielding her sexuality. Uh, it's because they're being repressed. And they're saying you're not a, you're allowed to sleep around, but no one's allowed to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. If we find a pregnancy, we sterilize both of you. Mm-hmm. And, because, you yeah. because, because you're deviants, we don't want any more of you. So yeah, that's not exactly. allowed. So you're... Yeah. And uh, and if you uh, fraternize with members of the same sex, then you're you're put to death essentially. Yeah, it's uh, a, it's an intensely oppressive yeah, so, society. We want so we want this entire so this civilization the, to come down. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's com- and in in addition to being horrible, and the the guard one of the guards is keen on on sexual assault, another guard is keen on beating people to death, mm-hmm. uh, and in addition to all of this, the people who run the prison are actually secretly running a most dangerous game racket out of yeah. it. And they're meeting in secret with uh, a bunch of other 
wealthy, influential well-to-do titans of industry, Mm. so they can like trade guns and pick out the people they want to hunt on their annual shoots. So here's how it works: while our heroes are acclimating to their surroundings, trying to figure out how they're going to survive and/or escape, uh, the villains are getting together and they're picking out each one of these villains is going to pick out one inmate that they're going to stalk through the woods. Mm. And uh, naturally, they pick our heroes uh, and uh, and Dodge as well. Um, and one other guy who's just a problem. He's just like too charismatic and uh, mm. has too much agency, so they just want him stamped out. Um, and they're going to set them free. And how it's going to work is, this is how it's pitched to them. Uh, we're going to give you papers that say you're free to go. Mm. We're going to give you your IDs. You'll be free to go. All you got to do is survive till sundown, like tomorrow. Mm. And they're like, you're just going to kill us, aren't you? And they're like, maybe. Uh, as it, <laughs> but as what, it, else, what other shot do you have? Like, yeah, if, you, it, if, you, if you say no, you will be here forever and we will never let you go. So they're kind of just stuck. They have no other options. Uh, at this point, we start meeting the, the bad guys. There's a more a sort of effete, rich, wealthy guy. Uh, there is uh, a woman who uh, has a trick crossbow that has like electrical charges and explosions and shit. So we're going into like supervillain territory mm-hmm. now. Well, like, and then it they... completely gets weird when you meet the guy whose whole thing is everyone brings their weapon of choice. Someone brings a gun. Someone brings a crossbow. Mm-hmm. This guy brings Beast Man from He Man. He has a werewolf. <laughs> and I'm watching this movie and I'm like, normally. Movies, and I've talked about this a lot, in their opening, uh, have a contract with the audience. Hmm. They tell you, here's what's possible in these movies. Hmm. And if you break that later on and change the rules completely, we feel a little betrayed. Yeah. It tur- oh, and, and, it, and it turns out that I have superpowers. Yeah, you it's can't do that halfway now, through Goodfellas. Yeah. If you did that halfway through Goodfellas, we'd be like, hey. But if you yeah. did that in the first five minutes of Goodfellas, we'd be like, okay, that's the movie we're in. I'd, I'd be thrilled, frankly. Sure. But, uh, yeah. well, it'd be interesting. Yeah. My point is this. if you, you The movie establishes the world and the rules of that world usually pretty quickly. And then it's the movie's responsibility to follow it or, if they break those rules, potentially reap the consequences of the audience at the very least tuning out. Uh, in an exploitation film, you get a lot of leeway. So if, about, <laughs> so if like 35 minutes into the movie, oh, one of the guys has a werewolf instead of a gun, you're just sort of like, Okay, let's yeah, they, do this now. They, they have their, their one, and one of them has um, it, it's sort of like a combination between like a meter made vehicle and a bulldozer. Yeah. It's like this little tiny lightweight thing with big tires and a scoop on the front. I think and, it's supposed to just clear out brush because it's a lot yeah, of uneven terrain, yeah. but it looks. But they drive around weird. on this thing and and they use it to like cut pin, people in half. Cut, yeah, pin people against trees and cut their legs off. Yeah. Uh, so the remainder, the third, uh, the third act of the movie, I guess this is like no. a five act movie. So this is like the fourth act of the movie. No, it's more like is, the third. It's about the halfway through. chase, uh, yeah. of our, our main characters sort of running from the hunt. Uh, Brian Cranford Smith talked about when he first got this script, it was a little different. Mm-hmm. And for, uh, there were two main things. One, it was set in the, the American deep South in the thirties. Okay. So not dystopian, a little different. Uh, but the other thing was is that it was two-thirds a prison movie and then the most dangerous game bit was the last half hour. And he was like, that balances way off. People mm. are here for the most dangerous game shit. So there's a long setup, but basically more, like at least the second half, a little bit more so, is the hunt. Mm. And I appreciate that because too many 
exploitation films that you watch like promise you something cool but they only give it to you for a minute well that and that's that's what i was alluding to earlier um uh, i look up look on wikipedia look up the brian trenchard smith film uh that that you had mentioned uh called the what was it called the um not the rule breakers the death cheaters okay death cheaters Uh, Death Cheaters. It's it's a bunch of guys like holding guns and spear guns, and there's an explosion behind them, and there's a woman in a bikini and somebody flying in a, a, mm-hmm. a parachute. And you know when you watch that movie, it's going to be really slow paced. It's going to be guys in suits, like in '70s suits, mm-hmm. hanging around in like posh living rooms yeah. for most of It'll it. It'll pick up in the climax mm-hmm. and maybe like one shootout in the middle. But yeah. actually, like action movies didn't used to be wall to wall action. They yeah. used to be yeah. like dramas with a couple of action sequences. The posters out. tended to overpromise. Yeah, I feel like Brian Trenchard Smith wanted to make a movie that promised what was on the poster. Yeah, or, because... or capitalized on it, gave you what was promised. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He he put everything that was on the poster in the movie Mm -hmm. and gave you the exact sort of pacing and violence and sex that you Mm. thirsted for. This is exactly the raison d'etre of the movie Grindhouse, Mm. which uh, Robert Rodriguez and uh, your boss, Quentin Tarantino, you know, they made movies that were what was promised on the poster. And there were Mm. fake trailers from people like Edgar Wright and uh, Rob Mm. Zombie that were basically just, no, like it, it actually would be this crazy if we did it. Yeah, like they're making the movie they saw in their heads, much yeah, like George saying. Lucas made the, the Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon movie he saw in his head. You know, yeah. uh, so uh, that spawned this entire wave of neo grindhouse, which were imitating grindhouse. They weren't actually going back and like familiarizing themselves with the source material, mm-hmm. and the source material is Brian Trenchard Smith. The source material is yeah. essentially the film Turkey Shoot, yeah, uh, because yeah, it has it breaks a few contracts. It has a werewolf all of a sudden. It's <laughs> like Beast Man with fangs yeah. that eats people is but, in the movie. But it's like a teen wolf werewolf, so it doesn't have a snout, and he's yeah. actually surprisingly well groomed. He looks a little stupid, actually. He looks yeah, like yeah. a little. It, he it's looks not like, like a cool looking werewolf. He looks like the Beast guy, not from. From He-Man, but from the Masters of the Universe movie, the the, oh, can, yeah. the canon film, he looked like that guy. Who was the Who was uh, the one? Who was the uh, He-Man action figure that was furry and you can't put slime on him? Grizzlore. I had yeah. that one. That's that's yeah. some that's a memory in my head that's pushing out important information. <laughs> uh, there was this yeah, slime there, pit you could buy for He-Man. I had the slime pit as well, yeah. and it would like coat your your heroes in slime, like some kind of torture thing or whatever. At least it's gross. Yeah, you, you poured a little can mm. of slime that came with the toy in like the back of this dinosaur yeah. skull and, and puke out slime. And it works because the toys are plastic, and you can just wipe them off, and it's mm. fine. Grizzlore was had was covered in fur. Yeah, it like was a, fake fur, I'm sure, but like fur nonetheless. It was, and it, it, there was even a warning on the box that said, do not use the slime pit with Grizzlore. <laughs> That's going to be the yeah. name of your biography. Do not use the slime pit with Grizzlore. <laughs> the Whitney Seibold story. The Whitney Seibold story. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I love that uh, Brian Trenchard Smith delivered on every promise that had been broken by previous exploitation movies. Yeah. Uh, some of them are, are really grand, and I know that uh, there are a lot of uh, big, big fans of all of the Mad Max movies out there. Yeah, they're all good. Um, they're all they're all varying degrees of and, good. And they're, and they're from that tradition of just mm. push things to a, a slightly further extreme than you had gotten before, yeah. because we don't have a lot of money, we may as well. Mm. Uh, I, th- I feel like Herschel Gordon Lewis was another filmmaker who tried to make good on those promises mm-hmm. just with gore. Uh, yep. It's like you've you've seen like here here's a poster and it looks like somebody's about to get their head cut off. Well, Bre- well, Herschel Gordon Lewis is actually going to saw the head off in his movie. He's actually going to impale someone through the stomach and throw buckets of blood all over the cast. I'm reminded of um, 
I always think about like you know people like when I was growing up, I was watching like you know weird sci-fi exploitation films. Mm-hmm. Maybe not this specifically, but you know I was watching the kooky stuff that didn't necessarily do well, like Inner Space or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was very fortunate that we had films that were made by people like Brian Trenchard Smith or Joe Dante or George Miller that were really trying to push what that kind of like broad genre entertainment could be. And because like, I watched something like. I know. I think of 1943's Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Oh, there which you go. imagine all these kids in the audience who just think Frankenstein is scary or cool, or the Wolfman is scary and cool. And oh my god, Frankenstein is gonna meet the Wolfman. Oh my god, that's huge. That's that's incredible. It's like Superman meets Spider Man. Oh my god, anything is possible. I mean, this fight's gonna be epic. They fight in the last 45 seconds of that movie. Yeah, they meet it literally in the last scene. It's kind of bullshit. I can only imagine how incredibly disappointed. I mean, I'm sure they took what they could get, but like Mm. in your head, you had a cool movie in there. Mm. Brian Trenton Smith makes the cool movie and bless him for it. He's he's really trying. And I I don't think he was necessarily even making that his thesis. I think he's Mm. just trying to make the the best film he could. Right. I think it's subconscious, though. He wants to make something that entertains uh, him, and that would be it. He had enough. Going half assed wouldn't entertain him. He had enough of a budget to attract some international stars Mm -hmm. uh, and enough of a budget to get a lot of explosions. He blew everything up at the end. (laughs) And and they even even had access to like a fighter jet. There's Mm -hmm. like original footage of a fighter jet. And as you mentioned, this is a low budget production so like they had a lot of like scheduling issues and budget issues and apparently there were whole scenes that got cut mm-hmm. that never got filmed or uh david hemmings uh, who produced this had to like do some like you know second unit stuff just to make it most of their time like this is a movie that is run and gun and it's actually kind of amazing how for a low budget sci-fi movie like how just physically ambitious this is how many action sequences are how many uh, like you know bits of tech there are like brian trinchard smith is a lot like john carpenter in mm. that he knows he just sort of seems to instinctually know just where to put a camera to Mm -hmm. see the stuff you want to see uh and it's not necessarily yeah it's not visual poetry but it's very very effectively uh, telling the story yeah john john carpenter uh has never called himself an artist he feels like he makes Mm -hmm. movies and he's you know Mm -hmm. believes in cinema and and he's a good story and he believes in good stories and understands how cinema works but he also understands that there's an efficiency to the process Mm -hmm. And uh, that you just put the camera down where it needs to go and it just knows where it needs to go mm-hmm. to wrap up the audience in a certain kind of way. And I feel like Brian Trenchard Smith is putting the camera in a way where we get to see everything. Yeah. And he's going to put in everything that you want to see. So there's the human hunt element. And then there's another movie right at the end, yeah. which is a prison break sequence where all of the prisoners, uh, the the. Prisoners, of course, uh, get the better of their hunters. This yeah. is not a spoiler. No, it, uh, and, it, it, uh, real, real fast. Uh, Dodge gets attacked by the Wolfman, and mm-hmm. that doesn't go well for Dodge. Uh, uh, the guy who gets like thrown into it, who is like the political dissident, not Steve Railsback, but the other one who just needed to be executed because he was too strong. Um, he gets the drop on a guy and steals his gun, and it's like a, it's like an, it's like an assault rifle. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, so he's actually going to be able to do some damage. And he's just like, yeah, they're never letting us go. I'm just going to take as many of them with me as I can. And I'm like, oh, okay, shit, what's going to happen? And then uh, his plan is to stand in the middle of an empty field and shoot at a guy from way too far away for him to be accurate with that rifle while the guy, one, while the Thatcher and uh, the lady with the crossbow flank him and then just, just like, fucking destroy him. Yeah. Like, 
That was not a good plan. <laughs> that was a bad plan, Petey. Yeah, yeah. Like that did not that was that did not work. Um the the lady who was accused of being a sex worker gets hunted by the lady with the crossbow. There's a sequence which mercifully happens off camera, which is absolutely horrifying. Like mm. what the, the this woman is a monster who's the villain and it sucks because she's definitely uh queer. She's coded queer initially, and then it seems pretty explicit later on, and it sucks that she's portrayed as the villain, considering that we were seeing that queerness was also being condemned. Mm. I get that it's about hypocrisy, but it's also kind of shitty. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Certain characters get out scot-free, certain characters do not, but Mm -hmm. our heroes do manage to... Uh, abscond with enough equipment that they need to Mm. break into the prison and help all the prisoners out. Yeah. Uh, Problem is they're they're on it. Yeah. But uh, the the hunt has gone so badly that they've called in an airstrike. Yeah. And so now there's a ticking clock before the airstrike hits. And the other problem that they discover is like, oh, here's why they weren't worried about letting us out. We're on an island. We didn't know. They drugged us before we got here. So so now they're trapped on an island that's going to get blown Mm. the fuck up. And like, even if they survive that, what are they going to do? And that's actually something that I feel like there could have been a little poetry to that, like a little bit like, okay, we survived the turkey shoot, but now what? We have no options. The The government is, is like whatever, like that. You can have some sort of like sort of depressing story. And instead, turkey shoot ends with like a yay with the people who made it, made it. And I'm like, and now what are you going to do? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Everything got blown up real good. <laughs> It's not like it's they, not like these planes blew up some guys, and it's just like, well, I guess yeah. we'll never look at that island ever again. We we hate the government. Uh, prisons suck. Everybody's getting abused. Oh shit! There's human hunts. Look, there's an exploding crossbow and a werewolf. Let's blow shit up. Yay! Yeah. Eating popcorn, getting drunk, going home, and making out. This is great. <laughs> This is pretty this spectacular is, exploitation this cinema. Is, oh, uh, this, yeah, is this is exploitation fun. cinema at its finest. I, I'm so glad I finally got to see this. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm so excited by Australian exploitation movies. It's better than Italian exploitation movies. Why do you do that? Why is that necessary to tear Italian exploitation down to bring Aussie exploitation Because up? I saw an Italian exploitation movie recently. I saw a couple Italian exploitation movies recently. And while they're good and stylish and the filmmaking is interesting... Mm-hmm. I can't tell what the stories are. <laughs> well, I don't know which there, movies you good, saw, so not, I can't yeah, tell you if you saw something. I've typical. seen an, enough Italian exploitation movies and enough Australian exploitation movies to know that Australia is giving me what I want, uh, right. whereas Italy isn't. And I know that th- there's been something of a. Of, not really a rivalry, but a debate as to which nation provides the best exploitation. Mm. And Italy usually is the, the front runner because of giallo genres and a lot of really interesting. Also spaghetti westerns. Movies. Yeah. And spaghetti westerns. Yeah, westerns. Well. You know, they yeah. gave us uh, Sergio uh, Leone, Sergio Martina, Sergio mm. Salima and other Sergios as well. And Sergio Carbucci. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot like of, I said, other Sergios. A lot, well. lot of Sergios uh, making making exploitation movies. And other great, Energy Castellar. There's a lot of great, you know, exploitation yeah, so, filmmakers over there. Uh, but like, uh, Mario Bava, Lamberto Bava. Lucio uh, Fulci. Uh, the other Fulci. Surely there were other Fulci's as well. Mm. Uh, so, uh, Italy has a reputation for making grand and uh, expansive exploitation cinema. And I am just here to try to challenge that notion. Because I've seen enough Australian exploitation movies to know that they're exciting, damn it. Yeah. Uh, they're really thrilling, and they're providing what exploitation movies are supposed to. Uh, 
there's something really um, primal about cinema. Uh, we've we've discussed this before. I, I I like to say it in these terms that cinema resembles human dreams, and that's why it appeals to to so many people. Mm-hmm. Your dream looks like what a film looks like, mm-hmm. and when we go to see film, we're here not to necessarily see a sophisticated story or even necessarily see ourselves. There's a very primal part of ourselves that wants to uh, see violence and I th- or, and see sexuality and see essentially horrible shit happen to people. Mm. Uh, and I think cinema avails us of a very safe outlet for a lot of these kind of unhealthy drives that mm. are definitely part of us. Yeah. Freud referred to it as the death drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, death. Freud was actually talking more about sort of self annihilation, but you know, yeah, wanting That's to, not what we're talking about. We're yeah, talking wanting about... to witness horrible things is part of our makeup, and I think exploitation cinema is a way of acknowledging that and having fun with it. Yeah. which is why I, I'm, and I'm I'm saying all of this to explain that I'm not here just to be lascivious and gross. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, Listen, listen, if you you pick apart any genre, Mm. almost almost any genre, like if you think apart like action genres or horror Mm. genres, what you'll find on an objective observational level is violence. I mean, look at something like, I don't know, like it's a movie everyone likes, John Wick. John Wick is a great movie. I think it's one of the best action movies of the last 20 years. Mm. It's really exciting. It's fun to watch. It's emotionally intense. I mean, the opening's brutal, but then it's, you know, it it works. A, f- a fun uh, sort of mm. fantasy conceit yeah. of this like magical hotel where yeah. assassins meet. You but know. you remove all of that, you know, the the style and the tone and the context. What we're watching is, and what we're excited to watch is a movie where Keanu Reeves shoots a million guys. Yeah, and he shoots yeah. a million guys more in John Wick Two, and the, shoots uh, a million guys more in John Wick Three. I, and and my point is this: the movie has been presented in such a way that something that we would normally be against, like if we normally wouldn't want Keanu Reeves to do that in real mm. life. But in the context of this story, we can watch this in safety and it's a yeah, hyper-realistic uh, or hyper-stylized uh, universe. Yeah, if you're going and it's to, fun to watch in if, that context. If you're going to show me a lot of like really horrendous action violence, I'm going to want... A, I, want, I, I would like, some, like a point of view in it. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. Uh, and having the killer just be some, some sort of like peerless heroic action machine is really unappealing to me because mm-hmm. uh, that's not really, that's not a, like a really healthy point of view. Uh, because then it justifies their violence. Yeah. Then, yeah. then, then it's saying that uh, this is not something that's appealing to something base in you. This is appealing to your sense of justice. Yeah. And the violence is actually a very positive thing. And that's, that's Agreed. not something I agree with. It's just not yeah. something I can really get behind. It wasn't the point I was making, uh, but it's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Well, but uh, John Wick kind of, puts a little uh, a spin on that is that he's murdered a hundred thousand people because somebody killed his dog. Yeah. Uh, that is not a balance. That's not justice. No, we understand. Balance, but we do understand the significance but it feels of this right, dog. It? But yeah, it it's, feels it's enough. It's enough of an emotional, this, uh, the movie gives us an excuse mm. to go with him on this journey and not condemn him for it. Mm. And, but, but it also allows us to, uh, have fun with how uh, how dark we acknowledge ourselves to be. Exactly, and movies, any movie that presents in hopefully in a responsible way, it doesn't have to be wholesome, but I think it does have to be responsible. Uh, something that you would normally completely disapprove of in real life and presents it for entertainment value, I think we have a responsibility to do that in a way that makes it palatable without undercutting the reality of it. And you look at something like Turkey Shoot, which is stupid at parts. 
is a wolf man for crying for crying out loud. But there's, there's but, like exploding crossbow bolts and right. yeah, it's, but it's got but it's at, pretty nuts. At the same time, the violence is never portrayed as oh good. This is why we're here. The violence is always the bad thing. The heroes don't perpetrate violence because they can. Mm. The heroes are the victims of violence and have to use violence in order to protect themselves because they have no other recourse. And as a result, we can go with them on that journey. It's we can, and they can still be heroes at the end, even though you know Olivia Hussey cuts a guy's hand off at some point, and like, and uh, both, both of them at once, in fact. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like this is actually like there's a lot of brutality here, but you know what? That particular guy in this exact scenario, I can just sit mm. back and eat my popcorn. Yeah, you know, because the movie has created a universe in mm. which just this once under that circumstance, okay, fine. I, I can, I can, I can let myself enjoy yeah. watching this guy get his hands cut off or yeah. somebody getting stabbed in the head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I don't object to violence, but I, I, I feel like there's a, a right and a wrong way to present violence, of and, uh, and and there are many different right ways. Oh, absolutely, yeah, ways. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And, and so, uh, there's a lot of films that present violence, I think, very irresponsibly mm-hmm. and by presenting it as very noble or just. Uh, when you present it in this sort of exploitation framework and you kind of acknowledge that it is pandering to you, it's exploiting you, hence the name, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, it, it ironically becomes more palatable. <laughs> yeah, because there's, no, uh, there's, no, there's no pretense. Yeah. When, and, uh, uh, and also it helps that Branch Hunter Smith is obviously making some sort of political satire as well. Exactly. It's, it's, so yeah, like, there's a, a sense of humor to it. Yeah. It's a broad political satire. There is a sense of humor. Uh, when this film came out, it was panned for how sort of horrendously violent it was. It was called like a vomitorium. Mm-hmm. And it is. I can't counter those arguments. <laughs> <laughs> but it, all, all, all of all of the negative reviews are correct about yeah. this movie and, and what it's yeah. what it's criticizing. But, but they're can, they're misinterpreting the good stuff as the bad stuff is the problem. Exactly. That, oh, oftentimes yeah. it's a matter of, you know, oh the, these Saw movies are horrifically violent. And I'm like yeah, yeah, that's kind of the, that's, the that's why they're here. Like, if you can't get on board with that, if you can't wrap your head around that, you can't tell if they're good or not. Mm. You're just not the audience. You're just not someone who's going to be able to get on board with this at all. You have to try to meet a movie on its own terms, and the movie doesn't necessarily succeed at that. Right. But if you're not at least attempting to engage with Turkey Shoot as an exploitation, and that's what it's going for. Mm you're going to miss the entire film. And the movie ended up being a bit of a cult hit. It had a remake like 30 years later starring yeah, Dominic Purcell, which I didn't see. Uh, I actually didn't know that existed until today. Yeah, I was, I was looking it up and, uh. and stumbled upon this remake of Turkey Shoot. Uh, I don't know how well held this is in Australia. Mm. I imagine it's a, a cult hit uh, mm. along the lines of, uh, well, I guess Mad Max here in the United States. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I would love to ha- uh, hear from some of our international listeners mm. as to their experience with Turkey Shoot and what, what they think about it. I'm reminded of, uh, I interviewed Taika Waititi uh, when he did Hunt for the Wilder People, which is before mm. he did Thor. Um, Hunt for the Wilder People is great, by the way. If you haven't seen that movie, <laughs> it's so damn good. It's about this kid who's just this little troublemaker. It's the same kid from uh, Deadpool 2. Um, and uh, he was also in the new Godzilla movie as well. But he's this little troublemaker, and he's been kicked out of so many foster cares, and he finally, like ends up with a lady who genuinely likes him and starts like, you know, reaching out to him and uh, his new stepdad's played by Sam Neill and he's like kind of gruff and they don't get along and then the mom dies unexpectedly, just randomly, natural causes. And um the kid runs away, Sam Neill runs into the bush to to get him. Mm. 
And uh, they end up being gone so long that people think Sam Neill has kidnapped the kid. And now they're public enemy number one. And they've just decided <laughs> we have nothing else to live for. Let's just live in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so it's this really sweet movie about a kid bonding with like a, a gruff man who's like finding his heart again and all that good stuff. And all of that stuff is really, really wonderful. But I talked to Taika Waititi about this and I was like but you couldn't resist turning it into Mad Max at the end could you and he was like no I make movies in New Zealand <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like just in in yeah. in his blood I yeah. suppose at some point if I can in my movie there's gonna be a car chase it's a movie in New Zealand <laughs> like and he was very much framed it that way he grew yeah. up watching movies where there was so many car stunts and that was just the the vibe of the genre mm-hmm. cinema that he grew up with, and it's just part of his DNA now. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, we discussed this a little bit with um, um, the f- the director of Insidious Part Three. Oh, Lee Winnell. Lee Winnell, who's, who's Australian, Australian. Yeah. and um, we brought up how uh, you know those mo- those Insidious movies are crazy. They're yeah. going to like other dimensions and time travel. And I think the second one is a minor horror classic. I think yeah. the second one's just wild. Yeah, yeah. I like that second one a lot. Like the, the the first one, the second one especially, where they just ratchet way up. The yeah. third one is disappointingly sedate in comparison. Yeah, I would say the same about the uh, fourth as well. They're okay, yeah. but man, that, that's sec- that second two one is the best. And we so brought good. it up. It's like you're you're making this movie, and I I'm sensing a lot of Australian sensibility. And I we got to interview him, and he kind of lit up. He's like, yeah, we're trying to like get that sensibility into American horror. And you know, it's kind of worked. Yeah. Uh, you watch something like Annabelle comes home and it's like, Oh wait, the nightmare room opened up and now there's like four horror movies yeah. happening simultaneously. I feel like that happened with the, the fast and the furious movies too, where they started mm-hmm. off as these very American street race movies. Yeah. But by the time we got to, I, th- I think four, but especially five, and especially six, five. Yeah. They were again, Justin Lin, I don't think is Australian, but like, I feel like I they started J- to, Justin Lin, I think is from Orange County. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think you're right. Um, but um, they started to have that exploitation quality that anything goes, mm-hmm. we're not going to hide the good stuff from you. We're mm-hmm. going to start with the craziest thing imaginable. And I feel like it's like if Brian Trenchard Smith was given a $200 million budget in 82, yeah. he would have come up with the Fast and Furious yeah, yeah, movies. Yeah, it would have sure. been huge. Um, uh, Justin Lin was born in Taipei, but he moved to Buena Park at age eight. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, mostly born and raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not mostly raised. Not born, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, so the, so the, so the vibe lives on. <laughs> yeah, and it's now like become kind of mainstream. But seriously, do yourself a favor if you haven't looked at early exploitation, or maybe you've only seen like The Road Warrior. Watch some Australian like mm. action grindhouse movies yeah, from I, the eighties. They're they're amazing. Yeah, r- look up Richard Franklin. Look up Philippe Mora, and yeah. definitely look up Brian Trenchard Smith. Those, yeah. those are sort of like the in, in, in uh, as as I've experienced, it's sort of like the big three of the Australian exploitation yeah. movement. So thank you to all of our patrons for picking this really cool film. Yeah. This worked out really well. This is actually a runoff. <laughs> uh, it was really, really uh, like it could have gone either way, but uh, it worked out. We got turkey shoot, uh, and um, yeah, and that is it and, for and, uh, the Creek Stream Club. Brian Trenchard Smith has a book out. What? Yeah, I didn't he, know that. Yeah, he just wrote like a biography on uh, or oh. an biography of his, his sort of experiences making B movies. That's so, um, really cool. I did yeah, not and, know that. I think it was released like today, the day we're recording this. What? So it's just this weird coincidence. What? Synergy? But yeah, um, yeah. But if if you're if what we say about Turkey Shoot sounds interesting, it's on Shutter. Uh, and if our description of exploitation movies sounds at all fascinating, yeah, go ahead and buy Brian Trenchard Smith's book. Please, yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds exciting. I, I think it's just book. called like 
B movie experiences or some oh, whatever uh, some I want it. Um, all right, well that's it for the critically acclaimed uh, uh, streaming club this week. Uh, next time we're going to be back. We're going to head on over to HBO Max and we're going to look at their Turner Classic Movies section, which I think it's worth noting. Uh, looks a little different than it used to when we were growing up, and uh, the majority of the films that they had were films from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe the 60s a little. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, they've started grandfathering in, or rather, um, grandchilding in, I guess, considering they're, they're new. Why not? That's stupid. My point is this. Uh, newer movies are starting to be put into the turn. Because you can't, you can't grandfather in the new stuff. Right. <laughs> it's the old stuff that gets grandfathered. I, I right? remember the first time they played Pearl Jam on the classic rock station. <laughs> well, that's the vibe. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they've, they've started adding more contemporary classics. So the majority of the films that we have are would be considered more contemporary classics that have now made the cut on HBO Max's Turner Classic Movie Selection. So uh, the nominees for the new poll are uh, Steven Spielberg's Empire of the Sun. Starring a young Christian Bale uh, at a uh, prison camp in World War II, if memory serves. Um, let's see, Joe versus the Volcano, starring Tom Hanks as a guy who agrees to be a human sacrifice in order to appease his corporate overlords. Uh, the Longest Yard, a prison football movie starring Burt Reynolds. That This is the original, not the Adam Sandler remake. Uh, and then Spike Lee's Malcolm X, starring Denzel Washington as the civil rights leader Malcolm X. Um, these are big movies. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's weird that one or both of us hasn't seen them and we'll get to one of them and it's all going to depend on you or rather you, if you're a patron. So mm. you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Every single patron, regardless of what tier you're at, gets to vote for future episodes of the streaming club and all of our other polls as well, unless it's like very patron, uh, very tier specific. Um, but we also have a lot of exclusive stuff over there as well to entice you, uh, to keep you there. We have Holy Batman, uh, the podcast we review every single episode of the 1960s Batman. Uh, we have uh, All Our Yesterdays, we're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek. And we just recently started Star Trek The Next Generation. We've already done the original series and the animated series in the first four movies. There's a gigantic backlog of all of the you get over like 100 episodes of the podcast just boom as soon as you sign up uh we've got uh, only the best reviewing every single film ever nominated for best picture and we're doing commentary tracks as well uh we're about to like just as soon as we're done here record our commentary track for mystery science theater 3000 the movie which would be interesting because it's already a commentary track it is isn't it it's kind of fun uh so uh so, and we do hangouts as well there's a lot of stuff over there thank you to every single one of our patrons for keeping us afloat we would not exist without you that's just mm. true uh, so we're incredibly grateful to you. Uh, if well, you can't uh, afford to sign up, there's so many things you can do. You can leave us a review. That really helps. Uh, and uh, you can subscribe. That certainly helps. And tell a friend. Uh, the, just just to be fully accurate about it, uh, Brian Trenchard's Smith's book is called Adventures in the B-Movie Trade. Okay. And uh, he's self-published. So you can... Oh. Uh, I, so he'll go right, any money you spend will go directly to him, which is nice. Uh, well, if you buy it like from his website, That's you can, it. You can yeah. also get it through like... Uh, other book selling websites, but yeah, right. yeah, pick it up. Why not? Sounds exciting. <laughs> Can't believe he had to self publish that. Come on, who's who's not going to publish Brian Trenchard Smith? Uh, he, he's well known, like in like people like us who like B movies, right. but yeah, uh, outside those circles, he's not highly celebrated. Let me put it this way: 
there's something wrong with the universe. <laughs> that, that Brian Trenchard Smith has to fight for recognition. Well, it's a shame. But anyway, I, 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 I think, support the book. I think uh, Leprechaun 4 in space put a sort of a blot on his, on his reputation in America's A good eyes. blot? Because that movie's very fun. It's very fun. I think people have dismissed it out of hand because it's yeah. about a leprechaun in space. He knew what he was doing. He called it yeah. Leprechaun 4 in space. Anyway. Uh, so that's that's what's going there. You can also follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. You can also email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We would love to hear from you. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail, which is also right here at our at our thingy, our podcast network. I'm running out of energy. Right. So um, I think that's it. I think that's it. Oh, and uh, make sure you check out uh, Salt Cat Soap, our Etsy store. Follow Salt Cat Soap on Instagram and Twitter. There's a link to the Etsy store right there. We were debuting a bunch of new soap designs this week on Saturday. So check that out. There's a lot of wonderful stuff. Thank you, everybody, who supported the, the store already. So uh, we'll be back next time with one of those Turner Classic movies. And until then, this podcast is over because that's how it works. 